1 Corinthians 5, verse 7 says, Purge out therefore the old leaven, that ye may be a new lump, as ye are unleavened, for even Christ, our Passover, is sacrificed for us. And the Passover has a tremendous history, obviously, for the Israeli, uh, for the Jews, but it has a history for us, too, because we get plugged into it. But Exodus chapter 12, verse 40. Exodus chapter 12, verse 40. I've got four passages I want to look at us to look at tonight that speak of deliverance, all right, being delivered. Now, I think we're going to spend the most time in Exodus here, and we're going to just glance at the other uh, passages. But do you know that when Christ died for us, he delivered us? Right? That's what he was doing. He was delivering us. That's the picture. That's the Old Testament picture that we have. And we need to understand that we're delivered. That we have been delivered, that he has uh, set us free, that he has delivered us. And you and I uh, can rejoice uh, in what he did for us because we've been delivered. Now, the problem for us is we didn't feel like we needed delivering all that much. I think there have been times in, in the history of the church uh, at large that when people felt they really needed deliverance and when they got saved, they were just amazed. They were blown away. But I think that very often what happens for us now is uh, that, you know, we don't feel we need that much delivering. And if we do need delivering, it's not really from sin. That's not really the problem that we feel we have. Uh, we may need delivering from something else. But the Israelis knew they needed deliverance. They knew it. Now look at Exodus chapter uh, 12 and verse 40. Now the sojourning of the children of Israel who dwelt in Egypt, uh, the children of Israel who dwelt in Egypt was 430 years. Now let's think about the 430 years for a second, right? At first it was pretty good. The, the boys went down, Jacob went down uh, with the boys, and um, Joseph looked after them. He gave them the best of the land, and Pharaoh was very happy uh, to look after them and take care of them. But at some point later, we're not sure when, uh, things went against them. And what happened is a new Pharaoh took the throne, and he did not like these Israelis. He, he, was, he was kind of afraid of those guys. Those guys were multiplying and he was afraid that one day they were going to turn against him uh, and side with his enemies. And um, so he decided he wanted to really give them a difficult time. So what he did was he started working ways uh, that he could, you know, diminish the population of the Israelis. So he had several plans going, but the, probably the, the most awful plan he had was that all the firstborn boys were to be killed. The girls could live, but the boys were to die. And uh, the midwives were to do it. They wouldn't do it. But uh, it became the law that no, no, no Jew could have uh, a boy. And um, if you saw them, the soldiers saw them, then the boys died. So it got pretty bad. So you have these people uh, who are under the whip, under the lash, who are slaves, who are serving awfully. And not only that now, but uh, now their babies have been taken from them and killed. They, they are pretty in need of deliverance. By the time this deliverance comes, they have re it has really worked in their hearts that they need deliverance. Uh, 
By the way, <clears throat> this sounds dreadful to us, but do you know that God probably waited 430 years, and part of the reason at least was so that they would come to the place where they recognized they needed deliverance? Do you know that some of the trouble you and I get into in our lives is so that we'll realize that we need deliverance? That we realize that we need God, we need God to step in, we need God to work in our lives, and we need, we need deliverance. We need to deliver. And it's not like we need to deliver when we get saved and we're on our own after that. We always need someone to deliver us. But this, this people knew they needed a deliverer after 430 years. And it came to pass at the end of the 430 years, even the selfsame day, it came to pass that all the host of the Lord went out from the land of Egypt. All of them went out in one day. What, what do we call it? He delivered them. He delivered them. <clears throat> and it is a night to be much remembered unto the Lord for bringing them out from the land of Egypt. This is the night. <clears throat> this is that night of the Lord to be observed of all the children of Israel in their generations. And the Lord said unto Moses and Aaron, This is the ordinance of the Passover. There shall no stranger eat thereof. But every man's servant that is bought for money, when thou circumciseth him, uh, then shall he eat thereof. A foreigner and a hired servant shall not eat thereof. In one house shall it be eaten. Thou shalt not carry forth aught of the flesh abroad uh, out of the house, neither shall ye break a bone thereof. All the congregation of Israel shall keep it. And when a stranger shall sojourn with thee, and will keep the Passover to the Lord, let all his males be circumcised, and let him once come and keep it. And he shall be as one that is born in the land, for no uncircumcised person shall eat thereof. One law shall be to him that is homeborn, and unto the stranger that sojourneth among you. Thus did the children of Israel, as the Lord commanded Moses and Aaron, so did they. And it came to pass the selfsame day that the Lord did bring the children of Israel out of the land of Egypt by their armies. Right. So he, he, he brought them out. Remember the Passover. Right? He, he, he told them to kill the lamb, uh, to daub the, uh, the blood on the doorpost and on the lintel. And then what he did was the death angel went through the land and killed all the firstborn. Except where the blood was daubed. And, but all the firstborn died that night. Everybody died. There, there, there was a wail went up and they sent them out. And God said, now here's what I want you to do. I want you to remember this. I want you to do this every year. And he gave them strict detail of how they were to do it, and when the lamb was to die, and all, all, all that was around it. And the purpose of it is they were to remember that he had delivered them. Why? Because he knew they would forget. He knew it would become ancient history to them. He knew that it would, there would come a point for them when they would think, oh yeah, you know, yeah, we were in a bad way back then, but no, things are pretty good now. And that's exactly what happened. Eventually they stopped keeping the Passover altogether. And eventually they got removed from the land that God had given them. So he delivered them. But when they forgot about his deliverance and they forgot about him... He brought them back into bondage again. <clears throat> Do you know that when we forget about the fact that we've been delivered, we end up back in bondage again? Isn't it wonderful when you get saved? Isn't it that wonderful day when you realize, I've been set free. I'm going to heaven. My sins are behind me. Their power is broken. I'm on my way to heaven. Isn't it a wonderful day? But doesn't it dull after a while? Do you know one of the ways God wants us to remember the great salvation that he gave us? 
he wants us to celebrate the Lord's table. He wants us to remember that Jesus paid for our sin. He wants that to, to, to be cut deep into the fabric of our lives. Jesus paid for my sin. I was delivered. Jesus paid the price for my sin. Now, now think with me for a minute. If you asked an Israelite, what were you delivered from in Egypt? They could tell you, couldn't they? Oh, slavery. It was dreadful. I mean, uh, uh, they, 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 they made us work uh, day and night. They, they, they took our children. We had no life. It was horrible. They, they, they knew. But if I ask you what you've been delivered from, what are you going to say? What is it that you've been delivered from? You've been delivered from sin and its consequences in your life. Now you could say, well, I was delivered from financial ruin or I was delivered from sickness or I was delivered from drugs or I was delivered from whatever it is that you want to say, but that's not really your issue. Listen, those things come with the package very often, but the reality is that Jesus died to deliver you from sin and its consequence in your life. Now, what's the consequence of sin in your life? Is it as bad as for Egypt? Is it, are, for Israel and Egypt, or is it worse? It's worse. See, the consequence of sin in your life is that you've got to go to hell and pay the price forever and ever because there's no other way. That's, that's what you and I deserve. That's what you and I earned. That's what all of us earned. But Jesus died to pay the price for that sin so that it's taken away completely. It's gone. I, I don't have to worry about it. It's, it's not my problem anymore. It's, it's not an issue. I've been set free. Now that's heady. <clears throat> when you think of what a sinner you were. Very quickly, we begin to forget, just like Israel. We forget my, my greatest problem, the greatest problem I've ever had or ever could have, was paid on Calvary. There's no other problem ever coming your way that's anything like that. And it's so easy for us to forget. I've been set free. And so he tells us, he wants us to remember with the Lord's table. He wants you and I, when we take the Lord's table, not just to go through the motions, not to get some special unction, not for God to do something great in our lives at that moment. He wants us to remember that God did something great in your life. Everybody in this room has a problem somewhere in their life. You have a difficulty. You have an issue going on. Right? <clears throat> but you know, not one of us has a bigger problem than the fact that we were going to hell. And Jesus paid the price for that sin. We were delivered, just like Israel was delivered. We were delivered from that issue. And if you've not been saved, listen, you need to get saved. Easter is all about salvation. The cross is all about salvation. The resurrection is proving the power of salvation. If you've not been born again, you need to be. But you need to understand that what God did for you on Calvary was he took and he paid the price for your sin so that you don't have to pay it anymore. He set you free, just as free 
as Israel was set free that day. Think with me for a moment. Well, say you're part of the nation of Israel. Right? And you've been in Egypt, and obviously you're not 430 years old, but you've been around for a while, and you know how bad it is. And Moses comes on the scene, and things get worse. Things just get worse. They get, they, they, they get down like, they, they were bad before, they get worse now. But you watch God begin to show his power. And, and you begin to get excited. Even though things are rough, but it's still scary and you're still under the thumb. And, and, and Pharaoh still won't give in and let you go and let the people go. And then the night of the Passover, a whale goes up and he sends word, go, go, listen, just get out of here. We don't want to see you anymore. And the nation of Israel find themselves free. We're, we're out of here. We're free. And not only that, but they got, got blessed as they went because the, the Egyptians gave them money and jewels and all kinds of things as they went. Can you, can you imagine how it felt to walk free? Now, I know they had their problems afterwards. You know, they got ordained problems uh, to help them grow in their faith, same as you do. But they were free. They didn't have to get up and serve the Egyptians anymore. They were free now. Can you imagine how they felt when they woke up that first morning out of Egypt? Oh, we don't have to go to the work. We don't have to go to whatever project Pharaoh had for us. We're free. We can be human beings again. Can you imagine how that felt? I think it would have felt pretty wonderful. But they forgot, didn't they? Because you do. And you and I forget. And God says, I want you to remember. I want you to keep it in mind. I set you free. Not from the problem you think you had, but I set you free from the deepest problem you've ever had. That is, you were... You had earned for yourself an eternity in hell. And I fixed it for you. And you've been set free. I see you've been... <clears throat> speaks of deliverance. I want you to look at Romans chapter 6, because it speaks of deliverance from the power of sin. Now, I won't get too into this, because I could get lost. I can get lost in Romans chapter 6 anytime. Uh, it's a wonderful chapter where it talks about freedom from sin. Look at verse 6. Romans chapter 6 and verse 6. Knowing this, that our old man is crucified with him, that the body of sin might be destroyed, that henceforth we should not serve sin. For he that is dead is freed from sin. Now if we be dead with Christ, we believe that we shall also live with him. Knowing that Christ, being raised from the dead, dieth no more, death hath no more dominion over him. For in that he died, he died unto sin once, but in that he liveth, he liveth unto God. Likewise reckon ye also yourselves to be dead indeed unto sin, but alive unto God through Jesus Christ our Lord. Did you know that not only did he set you free from the consequences of sin in your life, but he set you free from the power of sin. Now, how does that work? 
Because you're going to say to me, well, I'm, it didn't work for me. Because I still have a problem. But if the scripture says it, and your experience disagrees with it, the scripture's right, and your experience is wrong. The scripture is right. You've been set free from the power of sin. How? Jesus did. Jesus paid the price for sin. All of it. But he broke the power of sin in your life too. So that here's the reality. Everybody in this room who's born again has known at some point in their life something that before they were saved had a grip on them. And after they're saved, it changes. Now you might have gone back to it. I understand that can happen. But the reality is you were set free from it. Its power was broken in your life, and it was kind of heady and miraculous because its power was broken. I've heard of many people say they, they got saved and they gave up smoking. And, and, and they didn't have to get hypnotized, and they didn't have to kind of go through weeks of torture. They just gave up smoking. They just walked away from it. They didn't have any power in their lives anymore. That's the reality of what Jesus did on the cross for you and I. Now, what we tend to do is we tend to come to the place where, we're, we're, okay, I'm saved. Uh, the power of sin uh, is broken in my life, so I'm not going to sin anymore. And we start trying to do it ourselves, and we fail. Because that's not what it says. It says that Jesus broke the power of sin. Look at verse 14. For sin shall not have dominion over you, for you're not under the law, but under grace. Sin doesn't have power over you anymore. You're not under the law, you're under grace. You're under God's supernatural enabling power to keep you free from sin if you let him. See, the cross not only answered your eternal problem, not only, only delivered you from your eternal problem, but it delivered you from the problem that's dogged your life all your life, sin. It delivered you from that problem. Uh, the power of sin was broken in your life. Now, now let, let me not leave you confused. You know, the passage does say this. It says, whosoever you yield yourself to, whether sin unto death or righteousness unto life, his servant you become. So here's the problem. If you've been yielding yourself to sin and saying, okay, have your way. What happens is, it becomes your master. It's not because its power has been broken. And if you, by faith, stand on the ground that Jesus has given you and reckon yourself to be dead from sin, you can find victory over it, if you want it. Because the power of sin has been broken. Folks, we live a charmed life. We live a life that not only has been our sin been forgiven, but its power has been broken in our lives. The power of sin has been broken in our lives. <clears throat> We've been delivered from the power of sin. All right, now, look at Ephesians chapter 1 with me. Actually, see something here. <clears throat> We've also been delivered, not only from the power of of sin, but we've been delivered from the power of Satan. Look at Ephesians chapter 1, verse 18. The eyes of your understanding being enlightened, 
that ye may know what is the hope of his calling and what is the riches of the glory of his inheritance uh, in the saints. Now, does that sound to you, good to you, does it? <clears throat> Look at the words he uses. Um, the hope, the riches, the, uh, the glory of the inheritance. I think you got something when you got saved. He's talking about here. But he wants you to open your eyes and see it. Or rather that your eyes should be open, that your eye, you being enlightened, uh, <clears throat> uh, you might see what he has given you, what's your inheritance, what you're supposed to be living. See, we live in a sin-cursed world. That's true. That's not going to change. But we live in a world where Satan has power, doesn't he? And sometimes we feel like we're victims, don't we? We just feel like he's getting to us. And if he's not getting to us, he's uh, through ourselves, he's getting to us through somebody else, he's just getting to us. But we feel like sometimes like we're just we're, we're on the wrong end of it all. But do, do you know that what he's done is he's he's broken Satan's power in your life too? Look at the next verse. And what is the exceeding greatness of his power to usward who believe according to the working of his mighty power? Four different words for power there. Now why would you use four different words for power? Because you're trying to emphasize something, aren't you? You're trying to emphasize the power that was unleashed. And that's what he's doing. Like, if I said to you that a bomb went off, you'd say, okay, it could be a stick of dynamite. If I said, you know, it was a bomb, and I'll tell you, it was so big, it just, it just devastated everything in its sight. In fact, it blew up a whole city. You know, you, 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 and, and I started piling on objectives. You'd say, whoa, he's talking about some bomb. That's what Paul's doing here. He's saying the power that was released in your life, right? <clears throat> Which you wrought in Christ when he raised him from the dead and set him as his, at his own right hand in the heavenly places, far above all principality and power and might and dominion and every name that is named, not only in this world, but also in that which is to come. And hath put all things under his feet and gave him to be the head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him that filleth all in all. When he talks about principalities and powers there, he, he's talking about right across the board. But you know what principalities and power? Because he talks about it later on in chapter 6. The power of Satan. Do you know that Satan has no power in your life except you give it to him? He did used to have power in your life. You were under his authority. You were, you were, you were somebody he kind of told to do. And, and you know, you're like a, like a fool. You did. But when you got saved, his power was broken. Now... <clears throat> You need to understand that. That's not because you're a good guy. Or you're a good girl. or you're, that, That's not, you know what that is? That's because his power has been broken in your life. When we look at ourselves in those things, what happens is we end up feeling like we don't cut it. But you've been delivered from the power of Satan. Look at chapter 2 there with me. <clears throat> in verse 15. 
having abolished in his flesh the enmity, even the law of commandments contained in ordinances, for to make in himself twain uh, of twain one new man, so making peace, and that he might reconcile both unto God uh, in one body in the cross, having slain the enmity thereof, and came and preached peace to you that were afar off and to them that were nigh, for through him we both have access by one spirit unto the Father. And listen, what he did was uh, he abolished the enmity of the flesh and the sin and Satan, and, and he took it all away for us. What we got when Jesus died for us is huge. That's enormous. We got set free. We got delivered from the power of sin, and we got delivered from the power of Satan, too. Now, think about these things. You know, these are not just theological truths that belong in a dusty library somewhere. These are spiritual realities that are yours. And he says, I want your eyes to be opened. I want you to understand. Some of you have been saved, and you've lived under the power of Satan anyway. And that's a miserable place to be. And you know why that's a miserable place? Because that's not you. You're different. You've been set free. It's kind of like the Egyptians going after Israel. And Israel saying, oh, yeah, too good to be true. Let's go back to the leeks and the onions. And so they just went back and they gave themselves the slaves. We knew it was too good to be true. Believers do that. But you've been set free. You've been delivered. One final thing. You've been delivered from the power of death. Look at John chapter 14 with me. There are many passages we could look at here, but John chapter 14 is the sweetest one to me. Jesus is about to go to the cross. The disciples don't understand, so he's preparing them for it. This is in the upper room. This is over that time when they, uh, they partake of the Lord's table. And he's talking them through what's going to happen. And, and he gives them a word that's going to be a comfort to them. A word that's a comfort for you and I too. He says, let not your heart be troubled. Is your heart troubled tonight? Do you get troubled Do you come to the place where your heart just gets in turmoil and you get all bent out of shape and you get all frustrated and you come to the place where you're not, listen, you're just struggling. Is your heart troubled? Does it get troubled? He says, don't let your heart be troubled. Don't let it bother you. Look what he says. You believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. I go to prepare a place for you. And a mansion is a place for you to dwell, a place for you to live, a place for you to abide, a place for you to call home, a place of your own. He says, in my Father's house there are many mansions, and I go to prepare a place for you. And look what he says. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you unto myself, that where I am, 
there yet ye may be also. He says, I will come again. Every time we partake of the Lord's table, we do so remembering the Lord's death till he come. Because he's coming back. He's coming back any moment, any day for you and I. And if he doesn't come and call us out of the earth in the rapture, there'll come a day when he whisper it's time. And you and I will step out of this world and into the presence of our beautiful Savior. And we'll spend eternity with him. And that's the sweetest thought of all. Do you know that <clears throat> he has made it possible for you and I to be children of heaven? For you and I to be delivered <clears throat> from the power of death, from the power of the world, and enter into his presence. That's the most wonderful thing of all. Don't you get weary of the world? Doesn't it scare you sometimes? Doesn't it trouble you and bother you? He says, don't let it. I've fixed it. I've made a place for you. Oh, yeah, you live in a sin-cursed world. And yes, there are problems. And yes, there are difficulties. And there always will be. But he says, I'm going to fix it all. I'm going to make a place for you. And I'm going to come. And I'm going to deliver you. I'm going to bring you to be with me. And that should be the sweetest thought in our hearts and in our minds. Jesus says, fear not, I will deliver you. Deliver you from sin and its power. Deliver you <clears throat> from Satan. And ultimately, I will deliver you from this world itself. I will take you to be with me. You and I have it all. Let's not live like we're always short. Let's not live less than he's called us to be. He set you free. And if the sun shall set you free, then you're free indeed. You are free. Let's rejoice tonight in the Lord's table. <clears throat> and let's rejoice in the fact that he set us free. He has delivered us. That's a word of prayer, and then we'll <clears throat> bring the table forward. And I'm going to give you a chance tonight to give testimony uh, to what it means to you that we're going to partake of the table. And let me ask you, if there's something between you and God that needs to be dealt with, then don't just kind of plow over it. Deal with it. Get it sorted out. Get it right. If you're not saved, this is a great time to get saved. When we remember the cross. But enter into this tonight with a heart that says I'm free. I've been set free. There's some sin that's bothering you. Get rid of it. Deal with it. Lord, I, I want victory over it. You don't have to prove yourself and, you know, have, uh, you know, three years of sin free before you're free. No, listen, deal with the sin tonight and it's, it, it's going to be dealt with. But when it comes to the table tonight... <clears throat> Let's recognize he set me free. I'm free. Now let's live in the glorious freedom he bought for us. 
Father in heaven, we thank you for this evening and thank you for this dear people. Now, Lord, would you move in our hearts here on the table. Lord, draw us to you. Blessed Spirit of the living God, would you just uh, work in such a way uh, that our hearts are knit with yours. And Lord, that we look at this week as we go through this week and we remember a Savior that died and paid the price for us. Lord, we love you. Oh, Lord, would you work in our hearts, draw us deeper into that love in Jesus' precious name. Amen.